0: Welcome to this episode of The Weekly. My name is Trevor Hoffman, one of the pastors at the Church of Greer Station. The Weekly is a 20 ish minute podcast of issues relevant to the Church of Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com.
1: All
0: right, uh, welcome to this episode of The Weekly. Um, I am here with Jim, who just found out when we were sound checking that he does not, in fact, sound like
1: Yeah, that was kind of crushing. So (laughs) I, I wish it wasn't such a
0: public forum for that. But what are you gonna do? Yeah. So we we now have aired that uh, discovery to the masses. Uh, So here with Jim Slice, Jim is a a good brother of mine and uh, someone I'm I'm eager to talk with about the topic that we have at hand today. We're going to be talking about sanctification, or um, as we as we phrased it this past Sunday, the the process of being saved in the New Testament speaks about us having been saved, us being saved, and a salvation that awaits us. And as a church, we've been walking through each of those three uh, tenses of salvation that the New Testament uses. And and most recently, we talked about the process of being saved. Um, It's one of those topics that you you could spend weeks upon weeks discussing all the nuances and and because um because it is such a a major topic and such an important topic i thought it'd be helpful to provide this this space and this podcast to just unpack it a little bit more here with jim so jim uh tell us a little bit about yourself who are you what do you do and what is your role at the church at greer station and and finally um if you could be um any movie monster What monster
1: would you be? Ooh, that is a tough one. Uh, That is a tough one. Well, my name is Jim Slice. Uh, For the purpose of our church, I should identify myself as Jim Slice the Younger or Jim Slice the Lesser, whichever you prefer. (laughs) Uh, My dad is also Jim Slice, and uh, he goes to Greer Station as well. Hey, Dad. Hope you're listening. (laughs) And um, I am 39 years old. I... um, I'm an electrical engineer for Duke Energy. I have worked there for um, close to 12 years, 11 and a half years. And uh, my role at Greer Station is I help to co-lead one of the small groups and I help uh, count the offering um, some Sunday morning. So,
0: yeah. And Movie Monster.
1: Oh, Movie Monster. Right. Oh, gosh. I, I wish I had known that one ahead of time. Dracula seems coolest. Frankenstein seems more honest.
0: <laughs> so I think I'm going to go with Frankenstein. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, Frankenstein's kind of a... He's a sympathetic, kind of tragic figure. I guess there's some...
1: Yeah, that's me to a T. Sympathetic <laughs> and tragic. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say Kayla says that every morning, but that, no, that would be, that would be kind to her.
0: <laughs> Man... So, uh, to, Jim, tell us, when did you, when did you, um, two, two questions. When, when did you become a believer? And then when did you really begin to take ownership of your sanctification? So begin to take seriously? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, so I, I became a believer at, at age six. Uh, I was being raised in the church. My parents had become believers, I think just a, a few years before that. They also had church experiences, but but really recognized uh, just a, a difference um, between what the Bible described as uh, being a follower of Jesus Christ and their church experiences up to then. Uh, so they, um, they believed in the gospel and repented. Uh, the church we were at, uh, they would often talk about making Jesus the boss of your life. And so one day when we were riding in the car on the way to church, I asked my dad, Uh, what that meant, really. He used the opportunity to uh, explain how our sin separates us from God, uh, but that God had given his son as a sacrifice. Um, So just making Jesus the boss of our lives meant um, that we had repented of our inborn um, rebellion against his authority uh, and confessed that he had the right to require obedience from us. And then, um, you know, beyond that, um, a good and just God had to punish all the rebellious, um, all the rebellion, the sin in our lives um, up to that point, and um, we needed Christ's death and resurrection to save us from that punishment. Uh, So we prayed together then, and I asked the Lord to save me from my sins.
0: Praise the Lord. Yeah. Was it a, um, was it kind of an immediate thing for you? Did did you kind of, did you immediately understand that... um, when we are when we become believers that Jesus also uh, graciously requires us to, to walk in obedience to him after that? Like was there a was there a secondary maybe moment where that reality clicked for you where you began to understand that to be a Christian also means to live in conformity to Jesus's life? Yes and
1: no. I I think from the beginning I understood that obedience was was required. Obedience was required. Um, obedience to what exactly um, wasn't necessarily as clear and how that obedience came about you know maybe maybe some of those things were a little bit um, unclear to me you know as a six-year-old kid okay um, obedience makes sense um, sort of the depths of sin um, woven into our hearts you know is, is maybe maybe not clear as clear at first
0: um, but well, how about this? It would be helpful if we provided some kind of working definition of what we mean by sanctification. How how would you define that word? Uh,
1: sanctification, uh, you know, as I understand it, is uh, just the growth in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus um, over the course of our lives. After we become um, believers, um, we you know turn in repentance um, from our own lives, and and then. Gradually, over time, you know, as long as we have life here on this earth, um, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus, and so I think conformity to the image of Jesus is is probably the best summary um, of saying of the word sanctification
0: for me. Yeah, that's that's, that's good. Uh, the definition I used on Sunday that I, I read in a David Pallison book that's just really simple and really helpful is. David Paulson says that sanctification is God working throughout your life on a scale of days, years, and decades to remake you into the likeness of Jesus. Yeah, well, that's I, excellent. I found, yeah, it's it's really helpful, I think, because it, it it keeps in perspective that it's not an instantaneous thing. That yeah, that's a, pretty much what I said.
1: So yeah, yeah. The, well, basically. Yeah, the, I, I would give him an A minus for that definition. So,
0: <laughs> well done, Mr. Paulson. All right, so you, you became a believer at age six, and you, you had certain categories of obedience then. What about when you got into your teens, 20s, 30s? Did, did
1: yeah, well, I, I would say in my teens, it was um, easy to mistake my own personality, my own natural inclinations for obedience to God. wasn't really much um, interested in partying. Uh, that didn't appeal to me. I didn't especially want to be friends with those kids. Um, I didn't mess around with um, lots of different girls, though, I, honestly, I mean, there was you know failure on my part there, and I thought like, oh, okay, well, you know, that was wrong, and I feel bad about it, um, and I'm moving on. Um, but, but generally, I thought I was a good kid, and being a good kid Um, was what I thought God had called me to through adolescence. Um, I would say really, like, in my 20s, I began to see more that um, my natural personality, my natural inclinations um, aren't really um, matters of obedience for me to, you know, celebrate as the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Um, I was going to do those things anyways. And I'm so grateful, like, you know, it's, it's good not to be tempted by lots of alcohol. Um, but I couldn't say, like, yes, this is the, the mark of the, the Holy Spirit in me. And, um, so, you know, as I began to realize, like, my heart really desires its own way. And it still, you know, chases after these things. And, and even in some places where I um, I don't give in, I don't give in to my heart, I don't give in to temptation, Um, still that's how I'm aligned and I need a heart that is being shaped to be more like um, God and Jesus Christ Mm. um, and recognize that um, there was still a long process of work and it was a work that um, was going to take um, either until Jesus returned or um, I went to be with Him at the end of my life.
0: Mm. Yeah, and, and you bring up kind of a, an interesting point there. You know, One of the things that um, I talked about on Sunday was th- that culturally we have an understanding of ourselves and our natural selves that, that is kind of at odds with what the Scriptures teach. So interestingly, in, in the passage from Sunday, um, Colossians 3, you, Paul talks about these um, earthly passions and desires and dispositions that are kind of natural to us. Um, that are that are to be mortified to be put to death he, he says mm-hmm. put off in, mm-hmm. in this passage um, but kind of culturally our assumption is it, my true self needs to express so if something if something comes naturally to me if something um, uh, kind of uh, if I have a certain impulse or desire that I, I was born with that the, the proper way to handle that is to um, express it and, and to do anything otherwise would be ultimately damaging and wrong and um, uh, suppressive and, and harmful to me. Um, yeah. How, how how would you speak to that 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 kind of cultural storyline that we have? You know, I, I've heard Tim Keller talk about Moana and uh, Elsa from Frozen. It's kind of emblematic of that that kind of cultural. Sure. Tendency. Sure. What is what is sanctification and Christian growth have to say to that particular tendency that we have as a society?
1: Um. You know, I, I think about uh, uh, C.S. Lewis and the Great Divorce. Um, if, I don't know if, yeah, if, if you've ever read that, then uh, he has some really good descriptions of it. And he, uh, I think, recognizes the tension that, you know, God creates us with unique gifts and unique talents, and those will be expressed in um, unique ways. Um, but, but... Um, they're not pleasing to God, um, and they're not acceptable to God, um, apart from us having put them to death, laid them at the foot of the cross, and Him to raise them to life in the, in the way that um, is pleasing to Him. So, you know, C.S. Lewis includes um, one allegory, um, I guess, where a man is uh, struggling with lust and um, you know, in the in the book, the the lust you know takes the shape of a lizard, um, and you know the man is so embarrassed, and um, you know he's about to go away from um, you know the people who could teach him the word of God, and, and an angel intervenes and you know says, you know, do you want me to kill this? And um, ultimately, the the man, through you know much doubt and suffering, agrees, and after killing the lust. Um, and then killing the lizard, it then comes back to life as a beautiful stallion. And the point that C.S. Lewis is trying to make, and, and he kind of unpackages after that, uh, is that that natural desire, having been, um, crucified, having been like put to death for the sake of Jesus Christ, um, can then be raised by him to be expressed in a way that is pleasing to him. And so, I mean, you know, sexual desire, obviously having like it's, um, most God pleasing expression in marriage, um, and then C.S. Lewis goes on from there to apply the principle to lots of different things, and you know talks about a mother's love for her child and whether or not that's intrinsically holy, and, and comes to the conclusion that no, like even that can be twisted into idolatry. Um, so, um, so the culture, you know, has taken some grain of truth and then blown it up so that it becomes the ultimate thing and, and doesn't recognize um, any limits and, and doesn't recognize that um, without faith it's impossible to please the Lord and um, that those natural um, natural gifts, natural interests um, have to be laid before God for him to do with it as, as he pleases.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, this, those... Uh, natural desires need to be uh, redeemed and realigned um, in accordance with um, uh, loving Christ first and allowing Him to to shape them. That's fantastic. Um, uh, Would you say that we have any misconceptions about sanctification? And If so, what what would they be?
1: Um, Yeah, I think there's there's two major ones that come to mind. Um, The first one is to have no conception of it at all. Um, you know, brothers and sisters, um, have the gospel shared with them. Uh, they respond to it by God's grace and um, and believe. And that's where discipleship ends. Um, they they know there's commands. They know there's requirements that the Lord has um, in general. Um, and then just assume that they're able to um, walk faithfully in those commands for the rest of their days, mm. and, and don't understand that. Uh, Obedience, um, walking in, in faith with, with God and Jesus Christ is um, something that happens progressively and they grow in their um, capacity to do that. And so it becomes discouraging when um, temptation comes or trials come and um, they find themselves uh, disobeying. Um, they thought, I was saved, I should be able to obey. Um, the second big misconception Is um, that we have no responsibility um, in the process of sanctification? Um, You know, kind of best expressed in you know the old cliche, "Let go and let God." Um, You know, we do want to um, leave room for God to work and recognize that. Um, sometimes, you know, his timing is not our timing. But across the scriptures, you know, especially across the New Testament, uh, I don't see that thinking applied a lot to people obeying and striving to become more obedient and um, striving to put to death um, their sin.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Uh, I mean, Colossians 3 in particular, um, and, and passages like it, Paul is very clear Giving clear instruction, clear imperatives, like put to death. Right. Um, right. Put off, put on. Mm-hmm. Now that's not to say, of course, that's not to say that God's not working in it, because as I mentioned Sunday, we have passages like Philippians two where Paul says, you know, work out your salvation, but also recognize that it's God working beneath that and, and in that and through that. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that's re- that's that's a really important point to make is that we can we can sometimes justify laziness or passivity, right. or inactivity by saying, "Well, I'm, I'm allowing God to to have His way in me."
1: Yeah, and I think for those uh, brother, like for for believers who uh, the Lord convicts to go to another brother or sister and, and you know graciously in love say. Hey, I've observed this pattern of sin in your life, and um, I wanted to challenge you and um, push you and encourage you to um, put that sin to death. Um, I've heard other people say, like, "Don't be a junior Holy Spirit," and and I guess it's possible that that maybe some people enjoy that role too much, and and maybe forget the love part. Um, but again. Uh, it's born out of that idea of God is going to do that in his time. And I've seen those ideas pair. Like you are not the junior Holy Spirit. You're not going to bring conviction. Um, God's going to do that whenever he pleases. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it's a misapplication, like a misunderstanding uh, of, of what the scripture really says about sanctification. And, and our um, role within that. With yeah. With one another. Yeah. yeah.
0: God's use of means in general. Yeah, that's good. Um, w- one last question. Uh, what would you say to someone who is maybe feeling frustrated in their discipleship? They they, f- they sense a lack of growth and just feeling generally pretty discouraged about their sanctification. What words would you have for them? Um,
1: I, I would say, man, I, I can identify with that. Um, I understand that. would say that um, the Lord sees you and... Um, he is calling you to, to stay the course, um, but he's not saying to do that in a vacuum and just out of your own strength. But, you know, fall on your knees and, and ask the Lord to, to be at work in you. Um, you know, I, I think about like a, a prayer that Paul writes to, the, like writes to the Ephesians saying, you know, this is what I pray for you, that I bow my knees before the Father Um, and I ask according to his glory that he gives you the strength, um, with power through his spirit, um, so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith and, um, that you will have the strength to comprehend, um, you know, what is the full scope, um, of the love of Christ that, you know, is at work in you. And, um, you know, that doesn't speak directly to obedience, but I, I think it, uh, speaks to the emotional core, um, the emotional foundation that um, you know has to be present for us to continue to walk in obedience. Um, and pray that for yourself. Ask others to pray that for you. Um, take practical steps. You know, if there's an area of sin that is besetting and you um, bring that sin into the light um, you know, for others to um, help you with and, and hold you accountable for and, and persevere like the Lord, the Lord sees you and um, he's faithful um, and will help you help you to the end. Um,
0: That's great. Praise the Lord. That's a good word if I were really clever, I would think of a way to tie back in the Frankenstein comments about something about (laughs) death to life. Mm, Yeah. Mm. Um,
1: So the Holy Spirit is like lightning, and (laughs) I I was going to
0: say Jesus is Dr. Frankenstein, but I don't feel comfortable with that. (laughs) Um. Well, if you are still listening to the podcast, just know that we don't endorse all of the things that the guests on the podcast <laughs> say necessarily. Uh, no, uh, thank you for listening, and um, you know may, may God continue to work in you, may be, be encouraged in your pursuit of holiness, and, and may you, from a knowledge of, of who God is and, and what he has done on our behalf in Jesus, may we be compelled to um, lean into his grace and, and become more like Jesus. So Amen. with that, um, grace and peace to you, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.